Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about the mind, about the arguments, about knowledge that sets itself up against God. And this is what he writes to the Corinthian church. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As I said, I spent a bit of time in Africa, in Central Africa, and there is one question, if ever you've been to Central Africa as a young man, or if you're going to go to Central Africa, perhaps later on in life, there is one question that you will be, you'll be asked a lot. And it was a question that I was asked over and over again. It was not a question I'd really had to answer in the UK when I was uh, growing up in the UK, but as a 23-year-old arriving in East Africa, East Africa, I was asked it nearly all the time. And the question was this, are you married? Are you married? And the first time I was asked it, I said, no, no, I'm not married, thank you. I uh, hadn't really thought much about marriage. Well, I had a little bit, but uh, not too much. And uh, next place I went, are you married? Uh, no, no, I'm not married. Uh, why aren't you married? Well, I'm just, I'm 23. Uh, you know, it's just not time to get married yet. Uh, next place I go, are you married? No, I'm not married. When are you going to get married? Well, at some point. I will get married at some point. I got asked it over and over again. Everyone was really interested uh, whether I was married or not. And I didn't mind being asked. But I came in the end to get a really good answer to the question as I thought it was. And I remember being in one place with this guy, it was a minibus and it was a Congolese guy who was, just got onto this subject of marriage and asked me why I wasn't married and I said to him, I like my freedom too much. And at that point, I thought, he thought, oh, what a great answer. He just laughed at me. And then he said something that I still remember really clearly. And I'm going to come on to it later on. <laughs> but the whole idea, I like my freedom too much, was something I thought was a very clever idea. I like my independence, I like my doing my things uh, my way, I don't want to be really controlled by anyone else, I don't want to have anyone else telling me what to do, I like my freedom too much. And thinking about it, perhaps freedom, particularly in the, sort of in the UK, I think hearing about it, I was only young at the time, but freedom, I think, was really found in the 1970s. Anyone here who was a sort of 
teenager or a bit older in the 1970s, suddenly, if you were a teenager then, you could stop wearing a, a cap, a sort of flat cap, like all... Uh, your parents had to, and you could wear a long hair, you could have a beard if you wanted to. You, if you were a man, you could uh, wear makeup. Suddenly, there was all the kind of freedom about what everyone could wear, what people could say. And I remember a Pink Floyd song, which sort of went round and round in my head when I was about 10, and its lyrics were, We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. We don't need to be told what to think. We don't need to be told what to wear, how to behave. We don't need that. People breaking out and thinking that they were finding freedom. And it could be summed up, perhaps best of all, by a French poet, Exupéry, who said, I know but one freedom, and that is freedom of the mind. You can have all kinds of freedom, but if you're locked in to your mind, if you're locked in and oppressed in your mind, you have no freedom. Freedom of the mind is perhaps the best freedom to have. Now, I'm a pastor. That means I talk to people a lot, I pray with people, and people come and see me, and we pray, and I hear a lot about their lives. And I know, because I've talked to a lot of people and prayed with a lot of people, that many people don't find, in fact, that they have the freedom that they want. Uh, Many people have a high level of anxiety, an anxiety where they're worrying about what's going to happen. They're worrying about the the worst-case scenario that might happen to them, worrying perhaps about the future, about finances, about uh, children's sickness, uh, worrying about all kinds of things, perhaps worrying about exams, worrying about the future, what will happen. Quite a high level of anxiety which, which they don't want, which makes them not free. And another one is sort of fear. Fear about the worst thing that might happen to them. Or fear that what other people might think of me. If I say this thing, what will people think if I speak like that? A a sort of a fear going around. And there's other people who come and see me and they... There's a kind of a self-doubt which goes through their mind again... And again, a self-doubt around, well, am I good enough? Am I competent enough? I actually feel quite worthless compared to other people. Other people are more attractive than I am. Other people are better and more capable than I am. And actually, I don't really feel like I've got much to offer. A kind of ongoing, continuous self-doubt. And others sort of come from their thing of a kind of judgmentalism where an ongoing repetition of thought that actually you're better than other people and they're kind of getting into a cycle of criticizing others and and thinking that other people are are a bit worse than you are. And for others, there's a pattern of 
what might be called romantic fantasizing of thinking that somebody is going to come and rescue you from the situation that you're in, a kind of hero figure, somebody who will come and be a bit like a saviour to you, a romantic aspect to your life which you don't really have, but your dreams, are sort of reoccurring dreams, are based on somebody who will come and save you. And for many men, there's a reoccurring aspect of sexual imagery which reoccurs and continues to be there uh, to such an extent you actually don't feel free in your mind. Now, all those things are just there. They're a part of life. And the good news is that the Bible tackles every single one. The Bible tackles every single aspect of the life that we can ever imagine. There's an, there's an answer, there's an antidote to everything. And in the church in Corinth, there were lots of uh, disagreements going on, and there were arguments, and there were a number of aspects to which there had been the need to get their thinking right on a number of issues. And so Paul writes to these people. And he says to them, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. You can't take positive thinking or some self-help therapy Don't use the weapons of the world in order to combat the thoughts that you don't want to have. No, on the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says to them that the weapons that we have as followers of Jesus have divine power. That is supernatural power. Power which is outside of us. Unnatural, godly power. Divine power. They have divine power. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. A stronghold in ancient times was really in a a, a walled city would be a really strong place that was very difficult to break down. It was a walled area, a stronghold where the enemy would sort of not be broken into. And Paul is saying that the mind can have strongholds like that, areas which are difficult to break down. But Paul writes to the church and he says, the weapons we have, the divine power to demolish strongholds. That means there's no area of our minds, no argument, no pretension that can withstand the power of Jesus, which is to demolish strongholds, not just to knock them down a little bit, not just to fight against them, but to demolish them completely. That Jesus' power is, is more powerful than anything else. And then he goes on to say that the... Um, the arguments, we demolish every argument, every pretension, anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God is demolished. And then he goes on to say a bit more how to do this. And he says, we take captive every thought 
and we make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every single thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now the reason we need that power is, is because of this. In the, the Bay of Naples in Italy, it, I'm told, I haven't seen it, that there's a jellyfish called the Medusa jellyfish and there's also a little snail. And the jellyfish eats the snail and it digests the snail. And it starts to digest it, but it tries to digest it and it cannot digest the snail because of the hard shell of the snail. And what happens is that the snail now inside the jellyfish starts to eat the jellyfish and it eats it slowly but gradually until the snail is fully grown and it has it has consumed the entire jellyfish what that says is that in some ways that there are thoughts that we allow into our minds and we think that we can control them. We let them in. But over time, they start to control us and to consume us. Paul says we need divine power. We need Jesus' power to demolish strongholds. So, I was talking to this Congolese guy, if you remember at the very beginning, and he said to me, uh, why aren't you married? And I said to him, well, I like my freedom, and he laughs. And then he says, you don't know what freedom is. You think freedom is doing whatever you want to at whatever time, not being controlled, not being accountable. You think freedom is being independent. But actually, you're totally wrong. Freedom is not doing whatever you want, wherever you want. And I remember uh, being in... Uh, Congo, which is uh, sort of right in the centre of Africa. And if ever any of you know anything about the Democratic Republic of Congo, it's a place of extreme poverty and there's a lack of government. And the lack of good government in the Congo means... It means that the, the roads are in a poor state. It means the hospitals are not well looked after. It means that there's uh, not very good education. And in the absence of good government, in the absence of good government, you get chaos. Evil flourishes in the absence of good government. There's a lot of warlords in the Democratic Republic of Congo in the eastern area. People who've just taken advantage of there being no good government. Evil flourishes in that kind of place. He was saying that freedom is not everyone doing what they want, but freedom is when you come under a good rule. Now, in relation to our minds, if we're going to have a freedom in our minds, we need to have we need to have good rule in our minds. We need to make our minds 
obedient to someone. And if you're going to make your mind come under the rule of anyone, you need to make your mind come under the one who is the most loving, the most beautiful, the most just, the most noble, and the most pure. Freedom of the mind is not letting your mind run wild and do whatever it wants. Your freedom of the mind is making your mind come under good rule. And the best rule of all is that of Jesus. Jesus can take our minds and to give us freedom. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought because letting your mind run wild is not freedom. Taking your mind and making it obedient to Jesus, that is freedom. And I'd like to just uh, go through sort of practically a bit about how this works and how we can do this over the, the next few weeks. Uh, first of all, I'd like you to imagine a garden. Has anyone here got a really attractive garden? Just put out your hand. One person, two. <laughs> okay, I haven't got an attractive garden, I can tell you that. We've just got a few plant pots which are pretty much half dead. So uh, I haven't. Maybe you know of a lovely garden. Maybe your parents have got a lovely garden. Maybe you've seen one on TV. Somewhere, hopefully, you've seen a good garden. Now, what happens in a, in a beautiful garden is that you get these trees and these plants, and they're good things, and they, they take time to grow and they develop. But there is somebody who is watering them. There is somebody who is caring for them. In a good garden, you don't see many weeds because there's somebody pulling up the weeds and throwing them away. A good garden doesn't just happen. A beautiful garden takes a while to mature and it takes quite a lot of work. Now, in terms of creating a beautiful mind, a mind which is Christ-like, the way we can do that is to take any thought that comes into our mind and if it's a a godly thought, we can nurture it and encourage it. And if it's not a godly thought, we can treat it like a weed and pull it up straight away before it takes root into our lives. Because the Bible talks quite a bit about the nature of good fruit and the good fruit, the in Galatians is uh, love, enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But the Bible also talks about there are other things that can grow up in our lives. Uh, James talks about how desire can give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully conceived, fully grown, give birth to death. We have a choice to to what we allow to grow up in our lives and in our minds. So let's take anxiety. If there's a thought that comes through into your mind that's an anxious thought, 
at that very point it comes into your mind. You can't stop it coming into your mind, but at the point at which it comes into your mind, you can take it captive. Take captive every thought. Say, Lord, actually, no. I know it's not right to worry. Matthew 6. Do not worry. It's not a suggestion. It's not a possibility. Jesus says to his disciples, do not worry. Look, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for beginning to worry. I trust you. I choose to trust you with my life. I choose to trust you with my exams. I choose to trust you with every aspect of my life. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When you do that, it's like you're pulling up a weed and not letting it take root and instead planting the good truth of Jesus into your life. Fear. At the point at which you feel afraid, you think, no. You just suddenly realize that fear is not right. I need to make that thought captive to Jesus Christ. No. And Isaiah 41, do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. I'm going to uphold you by my righteous hand. No, I choose, Lord, not to be afraid. Self-doubt and worthlessness. You start to think, I'm not as attractive as other people. I'm not as competent. I'm not as good as them. No. Because the Bible tells us, Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. At that point, you take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Lord, I'm so sorry. I believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to put that truth and plant it into my life. I say no to anything else. I'm not worthless. Judgmentalism. You start to think that you're better than somebody else. Start complaining about somebody else. Take captive every thought. Philippians chapter 2. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Always considering others better than yourselves. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for considering myself better than anyone else. I'm not going to go down that route. Lord, I want to see you. I want to see myself as you see me. I want to love others. Romantic fantasizing. As you start to think somebody might be a hero to you. No, I'm not going to go down that route. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not someone else. All your soul or your mind or your strength. Sexual images which start to come into your mind say, no, 
take captive every thought at the point at which you don't let it to get roots. Pull it up like a weed. No. Ephesians 5.3 Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Make my heart pure, Lord. I want to be fully devoted to you. No. And I'm not doing this on my own, Lord, because I know it's just not me. I need your divine power. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Lord, help me now. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. The Christian life with the Holy Spirit is best described as a partnership. You know the word fellowship in the, in the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is just a, another way of saying partnership. The Holy Spirit is there to partner with us so we don't have to do any of this on our own. And we can go through minute by minute Day by day, taking captive every thought, making obedient to Christ, and after, after a while, we'll start to have a mind that is, not, that is not oppressed, but is free, and it's starting to look beautiful like a garden full of good things. Now, sometimes you get something in the garden that you really don't want to be there, and it takes a lot of work to get rid of it. We had a garden in southwest London, and there was this tree there on the right-hand side called a rubinia tree. It looked very nice, but it had a number of thorns within it. And we got a tree surgeon in, and we said, could you just get rid of this tree? It's taking up too much space, and it's just, we don't want it anymore. Thank you very much. And he, uh, this guy came in, we looked at the local newspaper, and got somebody to come in. And he cut it down, he did something to it, and, and we thought it had gone. About two or three weeks later, we found a little rubinia tree growing up in the middle of our lawn. And I sort of pulled it up, what's that doing there? And then a few uh, weeks later, there was another little rubinia tree growing up in another part of the lawn. And I realized over time that instead of just having one big rubinia tree, this guy hadn't, hadn't tackled it properly. We had little rubinia trees growing up all the time, and we didn't know what to do. We couldn't get rid of them. And obviously, he had not tackled the root of the problem. He'd only tackled the sort of top bit, the trunk bit. He hadn't got rid of all the roots, and therefore it kept coming back and back and back. And in the end, we got a proper tree surgeon in, and he somehow uh, did what he was meant to have done, and he got, he got it out. We needed extra help with this reoccurring, deep-seated, rooted problem. And that's the same in our Christian lives. Sometimes there are things that we're, we're, we're trying to tackle week by week in our lives, but actually we find that there's some things which are just really quite deep-rooted in our minds. A level of, of uh, oppression of certain thoughts that we cannot really seem to get to go away. And at that point, you need extra help. Extra help maybe with uh, praying with somebody, seeing somebody, asking for particular prayer, and just generally uh, making yourself open to others to come and pray with you 
and working through because we know that one thing is true, that Jesus has the power to demolish every stronghold, every area of our mind, every area of our lives which are set apart from God, any knowledge which is set against God, that we need the divine power of Jesus to demolish every stronghold. And that is what we're offered through Jesus. So we can have a beautiful mind. We can have a free mind, which is not letting our thoughts do whatever we want all the time, but making our minds come under the rulership of Jesus.